What's happening, weirdos? This is uh, a recommendation from our dear friend Shane Moss, who's recorded, I think, four four of my favorite episodes of this podcast. Uh, Shane has his own podcast, which is called uh, Here We Are. You can learn more about that at herewearepodcast.com. He interviews regularly uh, the top scientists from all sorts of different fields. And this is Nina Pfefferman, who is uh, a mathematical, uh, wait, I don't know how to say that. She studies mathematical models of pandemics. That's how you say it. She studies mathematical models of pandemics. So she is one of the people currently working on uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. She's a professor of ecology and evolutionary biology and professor of mathematics at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. She is the associate director of the One Health Initiative, and she is the director of math of the Mathematical Modeling Center. Well, that was, that was a lot. It was a lot for me to say. <laughs> I'm so tired. Leela just went down. Uh, so forgive me if I sound a little beat. I hope you guys are doing okay, by the way. I was going to alternate, do a uh, pandemic episode uh, over Skype, and then release something from the back catalog. But um, honestly, Shane called me, and we sort of commiserated about how uh, many people, spring breakers aside, <laughs> but them included, uh, seem to be uh, uninformed or misinformed about what's going on. And um, obviously this is very, very important. And he said that he had a talk with Nina and was like, I think you're going to really love her. And I did. I spoke to her today. It's only an hour. So this is not really a typical uh, you made it weird in the sense that it's short uh, and we don't really talk about um, art or God. Uh, This is a science-heavy and a uh, fact-heavy episode, more of an interview. Obviously... Still a very special uh, and important uh, conversation that I was so happy to have. Um, So uh, I do want to get to it as quickly as possible. No tour dates to plug, obviously. We are doing another best of You Made It Weird episode. If you want to contribute, uh, you can either go on our Facebook, on the You Made It Weird Facebook page. The most recent post is asking for suggestions for what you want included in the uh, third You Made It Weird Best Of episode. I realize it's been a couple years since we did one, and I figured we could all use the laugh, uh, laughs right now. So please vote for your favorite moments uh, on our Facebook page. You can also tweet at Katie Levine, um, uh, some of the, or at at me, um, at Pete Holmes on Twitter. I'm pretty sure Katie is KT Money uh, on Twitter. Um, I also want to give a shout out to Kachava, which honest to goodness has been my source of nutrition during all of this. Uh, I haven't been making too many trips to the store trying to stay in as much as possible, which is Val and Lee, which has actually been great. Yesterday was my birthday. Part of why I'm tired. It was a wonderful birthday. Uh, Believe it or not. I keep having to say that to people. I'm like, it was a perfect day. Val woke me up with pancakes uh, that she made with Lee and, and crayon drawings. It was adorable that Leela helped with. And then she made a cake cake. So I had pancakes and cake cake. So I'm caked out. And I loved it. It was so special. And we just hung out. And I, uh, it, it was wonderful. I, I really do hope everybody listening is doing well and staying sane. We sort of talk about that a little in this episode. But the way that I'm getting nutrition <laughs> when I'm not just eating two kinds of cake in one day is... Kachava, that's straight up 100% real. I need plant-based superfood nutrition in my life just to feel the level of healthy that I am used to feeling, that I am addicted to feeling, that is a wonderful feeling. And Kachava, especially in a time when I'm not going out, is a wonderful superfood plant ally. Uh, For everybody that I talk to that is curious about how to eat more plant-based, I always steer them to Kachava. It is a superfood uh, drink mix made with the most exotic, nutrient-rich superfoods that have been revered by tribal cultures for centuries. It's 100% plant-based. You get omega-3s from chia seed and flax seed. There's eight superfruits in the bag, 17 greens and veggies in the bag. Really hard uh, and you know questionable to sort of get raw stuff. I love that I know that Kachava is getting me the greens and veggies that I need every morning. Gluten-free, soy-free, no artificial sweeteners or preservatives. It's digestive support built in, 1,000 milligrams of adaptogens built in, 
24 grams of protein. People are always asking where vegans get their protein. Boom, right there. And it's in a liquid form, so it gets into your cells more quickly, makes you feel full for hours, makes you feel fantastic, gives you a nutrition high. A lot of people use it as a meal replacement. It is certainly good for that. It's as close as I've come to a meal in a pill. Uh, you can make it with one hand while I'm holding Leela in the morning. Just put it in with water, shake it up. It's got powdered coconut milk in there, so it becomes milky and chocolatey and delicious. Or, if you're nasty, you can make it with something like almond milk and frozen strawberries. It tastes like chocolate, strawberry, ice cream. It's fantastic. I'm living on it. I love it. I'm so grateful I have it. It's Kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird. We'll give you 20% off. 20% off. And you'll show your support of this podcast, which I always appreciate. Uh, all right, guys, enjoy my chat with Nina. Please vote for your favorite moments for the next uh, best of. And next week we will we'll release something from the back catalog. But now, while time is of the essence, I wanted to get as much info as we can. So thank you out there. So thank you to Shane for introducing me to her. And thank you to Nina uh, for this wonderful chat. I hope you guys enjoy it. Get into it, weirdos. Yeah, I, I have to imagine you are very tired. Thank you so much for doing this. No, thank you. I appreciate it. I think we're in a phase where no matter what I do, I, it's going to be useless if we don't get the word out to more people. So yeah, yeah. Thank you. Well, hopefully this is an interesting intersection. I know you did uh, Shane's podcast, so people that are scientifically minded um, will, will find you. But I think this might be a different cross section. This is this is a. I don't know. That's what I, whenever I'm trying to get people to do the podcast, I'm like, this might be an audience that you don't normally reach. So I'm happy to have you. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm very grateful. Certainly my, my normal audience is academicians and ivory tower navel gazers. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do a lot of navel gazing on this show. So you're, you're in good company, but awesome. um, I'm, I'm so happy that you're, that you're doing it. I know that you're tired. You must be saying this over and over and over and over. So at the at the very least, usually this is very conversational. I thought we could do this more like a traditional interview, just to get the information out there, clean. How you? Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and, and just get you out of here. <laughs> I don't, usually the show is like two or three hours. We'll only talk at most an hour, uh, and and let's just get some of the stuff out there before you came on. Katie and I were expressing some of our fear that uh, we both, well, I, I don't want to bring you into this, Katie, that's your business, but my parents are sort of, they're 79, 76, 70, I, I don't know, we're not, <laughs> we're not that kind of family. They're in their late 70s, and um, <clears throat> my dad is just sort of one of those people uh, here in California, everybody's locked down, yeah. uh, we're, we're, we're taking it super seriously. I mean, my wife and I are spraying the the groceries and the takeout and all the things going real, real, real uh, yeah. force. And then my dad is like, why, why is no one at Dunkin' Donuts? Like, dad, why are you at Dunkin' Donuts? What is, <laughs> so can you please help us understand how serious this is? What would you say to my dad, who is just a stubborn, um, I'm going to say there's a, there's a lot of high, I'm going to say hyper, maybe not toxic, but hyper masculinity, who cares this is just a flu. They're just trying to scare us. It's a hoax. How, how would you respond to that, Nina? And maybe a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Sure, sure. So um, uh, I'll flip the order and, and just say I'm, I'm Nina Pfefferman, and uh, I'm a mathematical modeler who studies pandemic preparedness uh, and uh, the interactions between behavior and disease outbreaks. Uh, and I, I, I'm a professor at the University of Tennessee, and I've done this for, for a bunch of different potential pandemics. And this is the first one where we've failed enough that it's actually a pandemic and we're all really sorry about that. Um, wow. wow. So, um, okay. So what I would say to, to your, your dad and all of, all of my friends in that category. So I, I think it's, it's really hard to acknowledge that things that are truly beyond our control are also threatening. And as Americans also, we're not used to that. We like rugged individualism. We like, being able to say, well, if I if it's dangerous, I'm just going to put it out of my mind and forge through, and and that stoicism defines my character and my strength. Oh, you've met my dad. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my dad. I he, mean, he I, would, yeah. Th there's there's a nobility to that. I don't I don't want to. I wouldn't tell anybody to get rid of that. 
But what I would say is that there is a lot of room next to that stoicism to say that that same stoicism that had people plant victory gardens during world during world wars is was not irresponsible, but it also was room that said stoicism shouldn't ignore the fact that there's food scarcity. Right. That's right. And and you can be proudly stoic and not panic, but still take responsible actions given known risk. And that there is also a nobility in safeguarding and even reassuring, even if you personally decide that me, Nina Pfefferman, if I am full of shit and you don't believe anything else that I say, there are people you probably love who are scared for you. And there yeah. is no nobility in getting a donut at the expense of the comfort and security <laughs> of your loved ones. Yeah, and that's right. And that's just psychological security, if that's just reduction in the anxiety that your loved ones have for you, it is a noble and responsible thing, even given up the, the conscience of a patriarch, to give comfort to your loved ones that you are willing to sacrifice getting that donut right now. Yeah, Stay to home. show some some strength in perceived weakness. It's, it, there's yeah. a way to be strong that might be not traditionally Norman Rockwell strong. It's like stay home strong. Although I do think Norman Rockwell would make a hell of a painting out of this. I'm not just saying it. Oh yeah. yeah but I, I actually think we could, there is a story of Norman Rockwell's strength in being the supportive core of a family. Even if you're, if, even if you look at brilliant Norman Rockwell strength comforts children having nightmares. And so even, yeah. If you believe that what we are all doing is having a collective hallucinatory nightmare. Yeah. And I don't believe that. That is not true. Right. Well, let's get to that. Let's get to that because I I was trying to think, I texted my dad, uh, again, let's not make it all about my dad, but I was like, please practice social distancing. We're worried about you. I was just trying to keep it simple because if you try and bring in like, listen to this or read this, I don't know. I was just like, please, we're just worried about you. I'm worried about you and I'm worried about mom. Can you please do this? I was trying to think like, I want to be like, do you think you're smarter than Bill Gates? You know what I mean? Like I need like the Einsteins. He he might, he doesn't know who Nina, am I saying it right? Pfeffernan? Pfeffernan, He doesn't know who who Nina Pfeffernan is. Of course, Uh, But I'm trying to get that, let's lay it out. What is going on here? What do people need to be doing and why do people need to be doing it? Okay. So what's, what's going on is that we have an outbreak of a really infectious, highly transmissible, and quite deadly respiratory disease. So yes, the flu is also a respiratory disease that occasionally kills people. This is not that. Mm. Uh, this is a disease no one has immunity to. Nobody has, has gotten it before and, and has partial immunity to help them survive it. Um, this is a disease that at its worst, for, for older people or for people who have real medical conditions that compromise their, their cardiac or, or lung function, is killing one out of every six patients who catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not an acceptable rate of loss for anything. Um, that is definitely not the flu. So the, only, the thing it has in common with the flu is it is an infectious disease of the respiratory system. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like saying... Um, all cancer is equally dangerous. Right. It's all cancer. So if you have, you know, a little skin tab removed and your doctor says, don't worry about it again, or if instead you have pancreatic cancer, that's kind of the same person broad brushing and being like, ah, cancer is fine. I had a skin tab removed last week. Right. Um, no, no, this is different. Um, we are in a global pandemic. What that means is that there is active local transmission on multiple continents at the same time. Um, we don't have this under control globally. There are particular regions that have it under control at the moment. They are still in danger because the rest of us don't, and that and people are still traveling back into those regions. So China right now did a really great job of shutting down its outbreak. It's having new cases imported from outside of China. We're going to continue that dynamic. There is no such thing at the moment. The world is a global place. There is no such thing as a nation or a city or a state or an island that can operate by itself right now. We are now a globe facing a pandemic together as humans. And so doing this well is something that we all need to do as humans. Um, And and we are trying the best we can with all of the techniques we have available. And we, we are working to develop 
an understanding of whether or not we have medicines that can help. We don't know yet. We have some ideas of what might help, and we're trying them to see, but we don't know if they help. We have some supportive therapies that can keep you alive even if you're very sick, including things like ventilators that help you breathe if your lungs aren't strong enough to, to intake air on your own. We don't have enough of them. Um, we won't have enough hospital beds and medical staff uh, for a lot of the world. So a lot of what we're trying to do is keep enough people healthy for the time being that we can develop the tools to fight this better in the people who do catch it and put off who's going to catch it so that people who have heart attacks and still need to get into emergency rooms can see cardiologists instead of have the, the door crowded through with people who can't breathe. Right. I've had so many friends, or that means two, that are having babies right now. It's just such a wild time to, to remember oh. that hospitals aren't just COVID-19 centers. They're places that we need every single day um, yeah. for, for a multitude of reasons. So what, what does it look like? What should we be doing? Uh, I was just eating something from the fridge. And I think one of the paranoias that uh, Val and I have is like when we buy groceries, we watch a video that was like, spray down your groceries with disinfectant. Is that too far or are we doing the right thing? Well, so, so, <laughs> so I don't know which video you saw. There's been a bunch of videos circulating and some of them are absolutely wrong. Not just, yeah. not just for kill, but wrong. And some of them are just kind of crazy and some of them are really good. So um, the, the best information we have right now, uh, and it is all changing in real time as we learn about this virus and what it's doing, but the best information we have right now for things like bringing in groceries, bringing in delivery, takeout food, things like that is wash the pack, like spray the packaging that it's in or wash the packaging or transfer it to something else once you get it there and then clean everything the packaging touched and wash your hands. It, this is not a foodborne disease to the best of our understanding. We have some pretty good evidence that food itself is not going to get you sick with this. Mm. Mm. Um, but it is true that touching things and then mushing the virus into your respiratory system, like your eyes, rubbing your eyes, touching your nose, uh, touching your face in a way that you like lick your lips later, like that's really how we think the surfaces of contaminated things you're bringing into your home would infect mm. you. You're not gonna breathe those. You don't put your face right up against a plastic bag you brought in from the grocery store and try and inhale it. Um, but you're touching it, and then you're probably touching surfaces in your home and touching your face without worrying in your home. So we are advising that there is some processing you do as you bring anything in from outside of your home to ensure that all of the outside contamination of the surface doesn't become a source where you keep touching it and then touch your countertop that touched it and then touch your face because you're at home and you're not worrying so much about... I'm, when I'm at home right now, even though we should all be not touching our face, when I'm at home and I haven't brought anything in recently, I'm not worrying about things like, am I scratching my cheek? Or am I, am I, did I rub my eye just now? I shouldn't do it anyway, but I'm going to forget I'm human. Um, so what we're trying to do when we say clean and process the things you bring in is keep the environment of your home relatively unlikely to be able to, to spread those germs by contact so that when you forget and rub your eye in your home because you're at home and comfortable, there's no contaminated surface that you're accidentally transferring. Right. And what about aging packages? One of my good friends, uh, Kumail, who lives in my neighborhood, he's been tweeting a lot and, and we've been talking a lot. And, and we sort of joke that I think we're both on the higher end of the carefulness. Uh, I have a baby. He, they're sort of, that's their business. But um, we age our packages. A package comes and we just leave it on our porch for two, three days. That's something somebody told us to do. Again, Nina, I'm in the dark. We don't know. Are we just being yeah. Californian? Like, it no. seems so, <laughs> like, of course, LA would be like, this is what we do. We're doing not all of LA, but like, and then my dad, I, not that Boston is one of the smartest places on the earth as well. But there's something, I don't know if I'm just being a California cliche and being so vigilant. Is that a good thing to do? Yeah. So, so again, some of this is, is information that we're getting in real time. So we've got best guesses right now for how long the virus lives on surfaces. Our best guess right now is that it lives on cardboard, which is what most packages arrive in, for about 24 hours. Um, so I, it's honestly, though, sorry, <laughs> um, I have a dog who's howling, apparently. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's honestly, though, uh, if you, there are things inside your package also that might have been touched when it was wrapped. We think that the virus lives on plastic, 
for about 72 hours. Uh, these are best guesses at the moment. So, so it, if there's, if you've ordered something that is not incredibly important to have right now, then there's no downside really to letting it just be for a while. Um, but there's also, I would argue, very little downside if you take proper precautions of bringing it in, put it like, put, give yourself a processing space in your home that's easy to disinfect that you can take a Clorox wipe to or or wash with soap and water very easily. Um, so so a, a washroom is a great idea for this. A laundry room, if you've got like, not something that doesn't have a lot of clutter, not something with a lot of tchotchkes, but like a good surface where you can open something up, take the thing out, remove all of the, the packaging. If the thing itself is not packaged um, and you're not removing packaging, yeah, Lysol is a great thing to spray over something. Um, but then throw out the packaging, wash the surface, wash your hands, go on about your life. Yeah. Here's the, the big question I had for you that Kumail and I were just yesterday saying we have no idea. So okay. we've been on lockdown for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't even know how long it's been. It's been uh, whatever it's been. It's been as long as it's been <laughs> yeah. for everybody. Like whoever, the people, oh. it's weeks. I really have oh, no sense of time. Weeks. Yeah, you lose track of time when it's yeah. Yeah, so unstructured, yeah. Did you say three or two? Yeah, I think it's almost three. We're over we're over two yeah. weeks in California for most of California at this point. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Val and I, every morning when we wake up feeling well, we count that as a wonderful thing. And and even if we kind of go like, Oh man, it's another day of this or that or whatever, we always take comfort in going like we're healthy and this is important for the family. Like I said, we have a baby and, and that's paramount yeah. for us. Um, then Val, uh, it was my birthday yesterday and she went to the store and thank you very much. It was actually a wonderful birthday. Um, and she, she had a a mask and she wore gloves and she got some cake. It was very sweet. She surprised me by making a cake and believe me, she did everything. But then we're like, she did go out again. I don't know. This is like, please soothe Pete's anxieties if he's being hypervigilant. And I want people to know what they should be doing. Do we then restart the counter? Do we go like we've been in quarantine for three weeks? Or do we go like, well, then Val went out and I've, I've gone out to the grocery. Like, do you start the clock over every time you go on a walk and somebody jogs by you and you're like, dude, why were you, why were you so close to me just then? (laughs) I don't understand. Okay. So, so really great question. Um, So I think the first important thing to, to tell everybody is that, there are two different things that we are trying to accomplish with social distancing. And one of them is, yes, personal isolation for the entirety of an incubation period. And that's the 14 days. That's the idea of that's what we think is, a, is really going to be about the longest between when you personally could be exposed to a disease and when you could start to develop symptoms yourself. Um, and then there's again another 14 days on that. If you develop symptoms of after that, we think you're probably and you're not. If you're not symptomatic anymore, we think after 14 days, if you haven't been symptomatic for 72 hours, you're no longer infectious. So those are two very personal clocks about this. Mm-hmm. But social distancing is also not so much about your personal clock of of time since exposure. Uh, and I would say it's a good way to drive yourself crazy to keep worrying about when was the last time you were possibly infected. Yeah. So that's, I think that's that, that way madness lies. Don't, don't do yeah. that. Even, Not even useful. It's, it's technically true, but I don't think it's useful because you also can't affect anything for that. That would be, well, I've just done this thing that could expose me and now I have 14 days to worry, but can't change anything from there. That's right. So, so I would encourage people not to focus so much on those personal time clocks of exposure unless literally what you're doing is waiting to come out of a household where someone had diagnosed coronavirus. So that's a really good thing to do because otherwise you are in danger of actively transmitting coronavirus to other people. Yeah. But if, you're, if, you are, if you've all been healthy and you're just worried, did I get it from going outside? I would say, please don't focus on that. You'll drive yourself crazy and there's no benefit. I'm happy that you said that. that that's a, I think that's a game we're all playing. Like I've, yeah. I've caught myself, I think the human brain, I don't know what it is. We like analyzing, we like looking for patterns and it latches to things like yeah. this. And I don't consider myself a very compulsive person in that regard, but I've caught myself being like, well, if that had it, and then there's a certain, circling back to my dad, this is where some of that stoicism can be good and be like, look, I'm doing as good as I can. 
uh, that napkin might have been on a thing like like or my daughter will touch something on a walk and i just immediately picture someone infected sneezing on it or yep. you catch your your brain is so stupid i'll see somebody with a hat and i'm like i don't know about this guy with that hat that looks like a guy who doesn't take this very seriously that hat so the brain is stupid and it gets paranoid so i'm very happy yeah with your with your pedigree for lack of a better term say will you please relax let's not get carried away control what you can control don't get paranoid yep. Uh, and yep. do your best. Do yeah, your best. absolutely. But but there is also the flip side. So that's the personal side where where I don't think that kind of counting. And again, that's all about catching it. It is different if you have someone in the house who's had it. That's a whole different thing. Then please do the personal counting. But then the flip side of this is what we're trying to accomplish with these social distancing, shelter in place, ordinances, recommendations, requests, depending on where you live, what level of legality is involved. But but nationwide. When we say, please shelter in place, what we're actually trying to do is not, I mean, if we could, sorry, caveat, if we could tell everybody to stand six feet apart from each other in complete isolation and not touch each other for two weeks, mm. whole outbreak would be done. Yeah. I mean, we, there would be a couple of, of sick people still recovering. We would be able to medically isolate them and care for them. We would be, we would be able to handle everything else that happened. But that's not a realistic thing that we could ever do. Families live together. Humans don't stand six feet apart from things. We can't practically do that. So we don't have an ideal world for that because also it would have to be global. It's impossible. Right. So what we're trying to do with these social distancing metrics in the real world, these recommendations, is actually not about your personal counter. It's about reducing the number of people each infected person is likely to infect next. So if you think about, um, think about a, a, a cell dividing. So, so or, um, and if you're not used to thinking about cells in biology, just think about like a, a balloon that manages to split in two and have a, a two balloons. And then each of those balloons splits in two and has two balloons. And each of those splits in two and has two balloons. And very quickly, you're going to be overrun with balloons, right? Because first you have one, then you have two, then you have four, then you have eight, then you have 16. Right, and each time you get another one, it's going to be two and get in a minute. If you're old enough to remember Star Trek, this is Tribbles, right? Yeah. Tribbles are going to overrun your space station in any minute. Yes. Um, so, it, oh, it really startled me the other year to, re to realize that not only had my students never seen Star Trek, but culturally they no longer knew what Tribbles were. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Even I haven't seen that episode, but I know the trouble oh. with Tribbles. They're the I little furry things that I overwhelmed Kirk. I know that. Also, you really should. It's the campiest thing in the universe. It's, so <laughs> um, it's, it's cultural literacy. We need to know what Borg is. We need right. to know who Data is. We need to know what Tribbles are. Exactly. It's, it's just yeah, important because otherwise, how are you going to understand pandemics? No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I agree. So seriously, we have these things that are literally splitting in, in two um, as this example. So this is not how coronavirus itself replicates in the body, but it is how diseases transmit, right? I have a disease and I give it to you and then you give it to someone. And if you give, if each of us gives it to more than one person, the epidemic is growing at that, at, as though we're splitting off like balloons. I, I realized the other day, this is a pyramid scheme. You realize that, yes, right? Yes, exactly virus a pyramid scheme. Pyramid yeah. scheme. I sell yeah. it to you. I give you the tools to sell it to your grandma and, and two yep. friends and we all get rich, but instead of getting rich, people are getting sick and dying, which is exactly. And, and, and that is a beautiful analogy for that. That is exactly what this is. It's a pyramid scheme. And so imagine, so we've all been on chain letters, right? Imagine that you get a chain letter that says, do this thing and pass it along to two people. Or instead you get a chain letter that says, do this thing and pass it along to 10 people. If everybody is actually doing the thing and passing it along to the number of people it says in the email or it says yeah. in the letter, the pass along to 10 people is rapidly going to get to everybody. And it's this going to be really why, annoying. That's why it's more, uh, you know, elderly people are more uh, susceptible to this because they love forwarding chain letters. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, that's what it is. Um, I think that's what it is. My mom loves forwarding me those things. And that's why I'm extra worried about her. It's the same thing yeah. with her body, and I'm worried about her. Okay, 
So, so you were saying, sorry. Yeah, no, no, but, but you're right. So, I mean, in, in this case, there are actually in the same way that there are people who, that we all know, like, oh, those people forward chain letters. We don't know why. There are, we have equivalent. There are people who are not social distancing. They're the people who are forwarding the chain letters. Yeah. So the idea of the shelter in place orders that we've got is basically everyone saying, try to send the chain letter. If everyone's going to send a chain letter, we don't have control over it. Our email is just going to send chain letters for us. Try and do what you can to only send the chain letter to two people instead of 10. Mm. And if we do that, that's going to drastically slow down who gets the chain letter at the same time. So that it can be dealt with in an exactly. in a efficient way, in a realistic way. So it can be dealt with, period. Exactly. exactly. And there are two things that slowing it down give us, and they're both really important. And, and we've sort of touched on both of them, but I'm going to say them again because they're so important. Slowing this down is so important. The first one is that, that the fewer people ever catch this at the same time, the less our healthcare system is overwhelmed. And the more we can help people, the more we can make sure that you survive being infected by this, and the more we can make sure that people who don't have this survive infected cuts and heart attacks and cancer and childbirth and all of the other things that we want people to survive. Um, and, and especially in the developed world, we take medical care for granted so easily. Um, we, we just, we say like, oh, well, if something goes wrong, I can just go see a doctor about that. And my toothache is not going to become an abscess that eats into my brain. Right. Right. That's a nice thing. Um, so, so all of those nice things we take for granted suddenly stop being able to be taken for granted if we overwhelm healthcare and overwhelming healthcare is also not just during the peak of the outbreak. It's not that if we overwhelm healthcare for three weeks, that when those three weeks are over, healthcare is fine again and we can all go. That's simply when we've exceeded capacity. But exceeding capacity is going to have a health toll on healthcare professionals. It's going to deplete our resources and supplies in support of that. This is not a case of we exceed capacity for three days and so we have three days of trouble and then go back to being okay. We're going to have an aftermath. And the more, the, the worse the excess is, the longer the aftermath is going to take to recover our healthcare system and infrastructure. Mm. So anything that we can do to decrease how much we overwhelm our healthcare system is good for all of us. Right. And that, so, so that slowing it down decreases how much we exceed healthcare capacity. And then also slowing it down buys us time to figure out which medicines we already have might be effective at helping people fight this off, to develop a vaccine, to figure out which supportive therapies are best given which pre-existing medical conditions. Um, if you go in and you're diabetic uh, and have COPD as opposed to heart failure, which things should people do to support you, even if we don't have a cure for the disease that will help you live? Um, right now, we've got lots of parallel experiments being done in hospitals in real time by amazing physicians and nurses who are making judgment calls based on their experience and expertise but that is incredibly different from known best practices that come out of science. So we're doing those trials now to get the science to know what to advise doctors and nurses to do. We don't know yet. The fewer people get sick before we have those answers, the more people might get sick later, but when we have the answers to keep them alive and okay. Wow. I guess everyone must be asking this and I don't, uh, I, I won't burden you with having the answer, but I'm sure everyone's wondering how long we'll be doing this because uh, as you're saying this, I'm, you're only reinvigorating my, uh, you know, commitment to doing this. And, awesome. uh, Thank you. and yeah, and that's, and that's what I want to share with the listeners is that this is something that we're doing, not just to not get it ourselves, but we're doing something collective, which is yeah. very sort of against the American mythology. We're sort of back to where we began about like, it's about me. It's about capitalism. It's about, my happy life. It's about my achievement. And now we're being forced to think globally. That's actually yeah. one of the, lo the lovely things about it. We've talked about it, is it's really every meal, every Uber driver, every package, we are an interconnected species. And we've yeah. done our best, especially in the West, to really deny that. And there is a silver lining to this. Of course, I want it to end and, and I don't want anyone to suffer. There's a silver lining that we're all sort of waking up to our interconnectivity. I don't think we'll mm -hmm. ever be the same. As an entertainer, and, and, and you talk yeah. to Shane as well, we're like, yeah. the next time we're in front of a crowd, it's just going to have this magic to it that yeah. I can't even imagine. When, yeah. when do you think that'll be? Because Val and I were saying, it's like, 
it's not like it's just going to go away. We have to be a year away from a vaccine, I've heard. Yeah, and then like, so yeah. when are, when are they going to be like? Am I going to have to make a choice at a certain point where it's like, well, we're in a gray area, and you could do shows, and I'm like, I, I think we think it's going to be like the war is over, we won, and we can all go out, and the sailor kisses yeah. the girl in the street. But I don't. Is that going to happen, or are we just going to be like, well, it's kind of okay out there? Like, what's what's next? Okay, so so um, in the most realistic estimate of of how this would work, what we will do is make gradual progress on many fronts. So we will come up with some better recommendations for how drugs will help us. We will come up with more ventilators. We will have, some, we will have a, a cohort of doctors who have realistically and depressingly already been infected but survived and are showing back up to work because they are heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, we will develop the infrastructure to do better at handling the infection that we are likely to. So, so you're right. I, there isn't going to be a moment of, it's done. We're all back to being fine now. Even if we do develop a vaccine, and a vaccine will take at least a year. It's more like a year and a half, really, uh, because it takes time. Human bodies are themselves complicated. We have long-term reactions to things, and we don't want to accidentally inject something into someone that six months later is going to kill them. Um, that's not a good wide. That's not a good rollout plan. So the yeah. reason that, that vaccine development takes a long time, and I've heard, I personally have heard from a lot of my friends uh, in the general public that they're sort of chomping at the bit of like, well, if, it, if coronavirus is so dangerous, why don't we just all accept the risk and take a, a trial vaccine now? And the answer is because sometimes in the history of medicine, we have meant well, but we have developed some very dangerous vaccines or medicines that have ended up doing a lot more harm than good. And so we don't let that happen. This is why we get to push back against anti-vax movements. The answer is we have figured out how to keep vaccines safe, and it is safe trials to figure out when they are effective and safe to take. Um, and it's important to do that. We, we don't want to rush aimlessly ahead with medical interventions that may not be either effective or safe. Um, so, so I think you're right. We're not going to have a, a, a like welcome home parade, we're done. We will have a moment, we will probably have a moment where life feels normal enough that we all do decide this should be a memorialized celebration. We are all going to go, oh, thank God. And that will be a wonderful celebratory day. Yeah. But, I, but it's not gonna be a moment of declaring it over because infectious diseases really aren't over. And, and honestly, even this one, we didn't know it was gonna be coronavirus, but all the epidemiologists and infectious disease epidemiologists in the world have been telling everybody a pandemic is dangerous. We're likely to have a pandemic of, and we even sort of said it's likely to be a respiratory infection that, that's going to be the next big one. Um, mm. We So even, once this is done, we're not done with pandemics. Hopefully what we'll learn actually is some much better infrastructure, but here's the optimistic part. So that's the pessimistic part. We're not likely to have a like, Oh my God, it's done. And it is, Please, all of your listeners and you and me, as humans, this is hard to hear, but we should. We should be prepared to be heroic about how long it's going to take to do the social distancing to get to a point where we can safely go back to sort of life as we normally know it. Mm. That's going to the thing that honestly is going to get us there the fastest: better and more comprehensive testing for asymptomatic people. If we could 100% tell you. In 15 minutes, if we could have every household have a test that everyone in the household takes every morning and says, you're going to transmit coronavirus if you go out today and you're not, even if you never catch the, even if you never get the disease as symptoms, right? If we could just do that and we could tell people responsibly, please isolate, you are actually infectious right now. That's right. That, that's what makes it's it so infuriating. Yeah. What's so infuriating and, about the like, I don't care, I'll go out. And we saw that with the spring breakers is it's like, and again, it goes back to the, the, the message is yeah. like, it's not you, you are not the center of the universe. And that's, that's what I, I want to communicate as much as I can. So here's, here's how I have been trying to communicate this. I don't know if it's a good idea, but I think it melds the idea of, of true American heroism, which is normally pitched as individual right? With a communal good. I really love old school Westerns. And if you think at at the fundamental core about what a Western is, 
And so there's been some great genre switching of Western. So like Firefly is a fantastic Western, mm. um, even though it's a sci-fi space comedy. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's a, what, the, what makes a Western, what makes a compelling Western, what makes a real like American John Wayne or, or um, you know, going back even further, like high noon, like what makes a Western? is that idea that you are willing to put yourself in bodily harm in the defense of the powerless. Mm-hmm. That there's a community, there is a, there's a community of poor farmers or women and children, and they are being threatened by the outlaws. And you personally, the hero, are going to ride out to meet the outlaws on your horse and shoot the bad guy and protect the village. And right, the, the, the uh, Magnificent Seven, Right, it's such an amazing one because it humanizes the aspects of heroism. Right, there's the 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 fellow who's worried he's lost it, and and, and the fellow who's actively scared but doing it anyway, and the stoic mm. who is going to ride into battle just because it's the right thing to do, and the guy who's purely motivated by greed, um, and it wants to believe that there is treasure they're defending, not just the poor the poor community. Right, so all of the, all of those are different facets of the nobility of that rugged individualism of the true story of American heroism. Those are our heroes. Go protect the powerless. Right. And in this case, we can do that by staying home. Right. And that is sort of an opportunity. We, we can all sort of feel listless. It feels very fight club to be like, we have no great war. We, nothing was really called of on, on my generation specifically. This, this is it. You're being asked yes. to stay home, which is no joke. I know people are kind no. of frame it as like all you're being asked to do is stay home. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, that's a tricky game for some people. Um, yeah. My heart goes out to the listeners that don't, uh, that don't have anybody uh, in their immediate oh, life. Yeah. It's harder to do it. Not everybody's designed to be a hermit. So I understand. Yeah. Um, but this is that opportunity to yeah. be a hero for a greater good. And when we look back, I think we'll be proud that we did what we could to help. Because yes. even if you're like, I can get it and survive, that's what I would want to say to somebody like a spring breaker is like, dude, you're in Florida. Do you know how many old and at-risk people are in Florida? Like, yeah. get over yourself. This is, and, and, and have some, yeah. Yeah, we've also done a bad job of messaging. This is also making young people seriously ill. It's just not doing it at the rate at which right. it makes old people seriously ill. But, right. but yeah, I actually, I just gave a, a, a scientific webinar for a lay audience on the mathematics of how individual behaviors and hand-washing and social distancing do change the course of an epidemic. And so it sounds, it does. From a policy perspective, when we hear our leaders, our scientists, as humans, when they say, what, what is your heroism? And the answer is, sit on your couch and wash your hands. It doesn't feel satisfying. Right. But, but if, you're, if your listeners are curious, there are easy ways to explain why it works. Um, I'm not the only person who's tried to explain this on the web now, but there, there is my, my own explanation will be on the website at the National Institute for Mathematical and Biological Synthesis. There are a bunch of other great videos on YouTube. We can explain to you why it works. But yeah. even if you don't care why it works, as a black box, it is, it is not nothing. It is not us saying to you, we don't know what else to tell you, so just do this nothing thing. This is right. everything. Right. This is riding out to meet the bad guy on a horse. It's funny that you mentioned cells dividing because I find that to be a helpful image when I think of humanity as one body and bodies being made of cells. And yeah. when you look at when you look at it under a microscope at a bunch of cells, it's so clear to us that that's one thing. We call yep. that one habitat. But we get stuck, and this is very sort of my specialty, I love woo-woo sort of uh, new agey stuff, but like just all that aside, literally we are one, this is the movie Biodome basically, we're we're realizing that everything you do affects everything else. And that can be, we can infect each other with paranoia, we can infect each other with truth, we can infect each other with uh, kindness. I've resisted, but I've wanted to tweet many times, uh, a friendly reminder to the people in my neighborhood, coronavirus is not transmitted with smiles. So many people are like <laughs> avoiding eye contact. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? Like I'm holding my daughter. You're across the street. Let her wave at you. Let's, let's get it in. Yeah. Let's open the windows. No, but I, so honestly, though, I had empathy for that reaction because I understand because, because we're such social creatures normally, 
what we're being asked to do right now. And this is also why I think it's such a, it's not, it's not mischaracterization to call this difficult and heroic. We're so normally social that by pulling back, even in this slight way of not, of not coming across the street to say hi to each other, right, we right. are violating social norms in ways that mean that we don't know anymore exactly how to interact with each other. Like, is it rude to make eye contact and not meet my neighbor? Right. I'm right. from my doorstep and then I don't go over and say hi. Am I insulting yeah. them? If I, so if I say, you're right. I don't yeah. go near you. And then they, the person says back to me, oh, don't worry. I feel fine. I'm not infectious. And I go, you don't know that. Stay away from yeah, me. Yeah. So I actually have a lot of empathy. And that's also why I'm characterizing this as so difficult and heroic that we can do this to no, try and right. figure out what our new protocols are for being considerate of each other and social. And I love oh, that's the beautiful. language. Your governor, you're actually the governor of California has made a beautiful transition in language as have some other governors from social distancing to physical distancing because it's right. We don't have to be socially distant. Oh, we have to be I like that. Distant. Um, but it is going to take some effort on behalf of all of us to figure out some new good protocols. And some are stupid. Like, don't bump elbows with people in greeting. That's not going to work. Like, <laughs> as humans, we're all, like, our elbows are not the most natural part of our body to extend. Yeah, yeah. Namaste, on the other hand, is a very natural greeting. Maybe we all just start high. Yeah, um, yeah. But figuring that out is going to take some real cultural innovation and collaboration. And it's not the sort of thing where one person suggests it. It's going to be the sort of thing where we as a community of humans across the globe converge on things that work for us and don't. But I understand the people who don't wave and don't make eye contact because it's such a compromise of our fundamentally social nature to not know which, when we're insulting people, we really don't want to insult. And right. like we're holding a cute baby. Nobody wants to make a cute baby upset. What if the cute baby wants to come and be like hug a stranger because she feels like it? And babies do that. Right. And right. What if they have right. to be like, no, strange child, no, don't you're hug so, me. And then you make you're a kid so, You're so right on. I actually I only wore a mask one day. Um, it's because I had to fly, and it was after well, I was flying home sure. after everything kind of happened. So I wore a mask. And now I try my best to smile extra at people wearing masks because I noticed when I was wearing a mask, you become a non-person. Like yeah. you're like, you're not in the mix at all. No one look at them. It looks like you're in a Cobra from GI Joe. Oh, you, yeah. look like a, you look like a bad guy or something. Obviously a doctor is a different situation, right. but in an well, airport, just a regular guy. Now. Knowing is still happening. <laughs> in this case, it's quite a bit more yeah. than half. Um, also, to for your initiative to make this more romantic, uh, we are trying to slay the dragons of of being alone, and those are serious Jungian yes. archetypes of like, what's it like to wake up with yourself and be with yourself every day? And again, I love the spiritual side of things. It's a serious forced retreat on on a, a culture that has no value for turning things off. So again, I, I hate the fear, I hate the pain, I hate the suffering, I want it to end, I'm working to end it. And sometimes I go like, oh, wow, I never would have done this for myself. I never would have just yeah. taken all of this time off from stand-up, all of this time with my family. And after a while, Val and I were like, this is so normal. Whereas before all of this, if we didn't have a nanny, our nanny doesn't come Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. And I remember saying to her, I was like, that's insane. We need her to come on Monday at least. And now we're like, why did we ever even need that? Because life is so different. It's so much right. more little house yeah. on the prairie now. Yeah. So I think it is true. People are, are it's, I find it comforting that people adapt rather quickly to different circumstances and then find that new normal to be okay. Mm. Um, so I, I don't, I actually don't see anything wrong with either way of life, with either the really rapid fire, everything's externally driven, we're all going to be out in the community, or the really, and I think right, most people that I talk to who are really happy when we don't have a pandemic, have a good balance of when they're going to turn off and just be peaceful in themselves, yeah. and when yeah. instead they're going to be really outward focused. But yeah. I do think that right now there's, there's an added layer of difficulty in that introspection and living with yourself. Because no matter who you are, and it's, I think it's, it's, it's got to be so much worse if you're a person who struggles with, with true clinical anxiety right now. But all of us have a little voice in the back of our heads right now saying, the world is dangerous. 
And if there's not a lot to distract you from that, that voice can get overwhelming. And so there's also, there's not just the living with yourself in a way of, you know, Thoreau and and going off into the wilderness and confronting yourself and and, uh, figuring out how to live peacefully with the person that you are and maybe even be a better, a better you. There is also the how to withstand that constant barrage of anytime you talk to anyone else, are you okay? Anytime that you think about your loved ones, are they okay? Anytime you get groceries, do I have to disinfect this bag? Um, anytime you look at the news, is there a new death count? And that's, that's something really hard to, to deal with at the best of times. And now there's also this added silence to fill that yeah. I think that, that worry can, can overwhelm. And so I think also, yes, again, so physical distancing, but this is also where, yes, we're retreating to our homes, but that doesn't mean we're doing it alone. Thank God we are doing it in a technological age where, where listeners can listen to your podcast and people can Skype with each other. And my, my research group has been having Friday afternoon happy hours by Zoom, um, where we're literally, we're not talking research. We're all, we're all working so hard on this the rest of the week. But yeah, for an hour... Yeah. An hour on Friday night where literally each of us is getting some form of beverage and like That's most great. of us drink alcoholic beverages, but even the ones who don't drink alcohol are like, I'm getting tea and we're yeah. just, and we're being together and we're shutting off the, the, that voice. And that yeah. is something that, that is wonderful also about a collective sociality of humans yeah. that we can support each other, not just in being alone in our houses, but not being alone in our souls. But that's the thing is knowing, I don't know why, I used to have a joke about owning the movie Die Hard and then it would come on TV, like network TV, and I would watch it. And I, I was always fascinated with why I would watch a movie that I own. And then somebody, I forget who, but they said to me, they were like, I think subconsciously you like knowing that millions of other people are watching it. And there's something going on here with that. So yeah. if I just took time off, I said to Val, I would always feel a little bit like, itchy that other people were out there doing other stuff we're doing this together if if it helps to imagine yourself as a cowboy or a knight or a boxer or whatever image of strength you want to see you're fighting some serious doubts some real foes and we're doing it together and we're doing okay and that's super super important and you're doing it for the collective which as you said i love what you said about um not seven samurais about the Oh, yeah, so it's also seven Magnificent Samurai. Seven. But the Magnificent right. Seven. Yeah. Right, right. But, but they, also, they all had pants in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, but also, right, even in the Seven Samurai, right, that movie begins with the samurai shaving his top knot to masquerade as a monk. Yeah. Talk about an image of sacrifice. That is his yeah. status symbol and his power. And he just knows that the best way to protect people, the best way to be a samurai right then, is to masquerade as a monk and to shave his top knot. And the the cultural weight of that yeah. action is so beautiful at the beginning of that movie. Right. That's uh, what they used to do when they captured a samurai. It was the most degrading thing you could do was to cut off his top knot. So to yeah. do it for the greater good, I mean, chills. I have chills just yeah, thinking about that. Right? And I mean, that, that movie is, is one of my favorites. I do love Seven Samurai so much. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, I yeah. mean, this, this, this is in our DNA. It's in those stories. I take some, some solidarity in the fact that even though we haven't faced this specifically there's notes of this type of awakening that we realize that we're in this together and that we have to do something for one another um yeah i don't know i i keep going back <laughs> to my dad but i was wondering do you guys have a term for that is that like when i when you shoot a movie right and mm-hmm. uh, you're on the street of manhattan and somebody just walks through the frame you call that a bogey so when you guys are mapping out like okay we can predict that 70% of this group will stay in. But yeah. are you like 30% are going to be bogeys? Like, do you have a, yeah. is there yeah. a scientific term for my father? That's what I'm asking. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, so that term has, has shifted over the decades. So, so in the fifties or so through maybe the eighties, maybe even the early nineties, if you look in the scientific literature, it's called non-compliant. Okay. We shifted away from that because it felt really paternalistic to be like, you just have to comply with our orders. Mm-hmm. So it's currently called adherent or non-adherent. Oh, okay. Um, so do you adhere to the recommendation or are, or do you not adhere? And it's not really, are you complying in the sense of, of seeding your will? 
Um, right. It's aligning your will with the recommendation. Well, that's, that's I, I mean, we're, we're running out of time here, but I could talk to you for such a long time about the misappropriation of virtuous things in the human spirit that you see happening here, because we know there's nothing to fear but fear itself. There is something, again, mythic about like, fuck off, I'm going out, nobody stops me, nobody tells me what to do. And yeah. even the conspiratorial like, yeah, but why would they say that? Like those like second, I'd say the same thing about flat earthers. I'm not a flat earther. I'm just yeah. saying it's the misappropriation of a natural yes. instinct to question what you've been told. But when it starts Absolutely. jeopardizing other people's lives, you're like, guys, do it for a flat earth. At least that's not <laughs> killing everybody. Like I should tell my dad, dad, Go believe the earth is flat. At least that would keep you safer. By the way, I am going to keep bothering him to social, yeah. uh, physically dis- be physically distant. So I'm not giving up. But uh, yeah, there, there's the way that our brains can take good instincts and misuse them. Well, but it's also, it's not just, it's not just a misappropriation of instinct, right? The, the most logical, intelligent, responsible thing that anyone can do is to realize the limitations of their own knowledge and understanding and then rely on expert advice from others in that context. And so, yes, we should all question things, but then none of us can know enough of anything. Like I, I am an expert in epidemics and I am an expert in applied mathematics. And if I have a question about finance, I go ask someone else and then they tell me something and I like, because I I like to question stuff. I like it if they explain the why to me, but if I don't get it at some level, the responsible intelligent thing to do is to go, I'm not getting this, but you're an expert in this and I'm not. It's that's great. So, so on some level I, I have a huge respect also. I mean, flat earthers complicated because we can explain trigonometry. And there are problems <laughs> with flat Earth, I, but yeah, that's a um, different yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> Look, when this is over, we'll talk again. We'll have you okay. on a proper episode when you're more rested and less burdened. We'll talk just about those fun things. I mean, but I, yeah. I, I always love, but but I but I respect greatly the people who are suspicious, even of of people of me, like people who say, "But what the hell do you know? I want to evaluate this for myself." I respect the hell out of that. But there are times also where you have to understand the limitations of your own knowledge. Yeah. If you wanted to try stand-up, you should listen to somebody who's done stand-up for 20 years. Anybody would get that. And if you were like, look, I just want to try it, I'd be like, go ahead, because I know the process itself will teach you. Just as you know, mathematics will teach you as well. You'll be yeah. rightly humiliated by the, by the breath of the, your undertaking. Yeah. I, um, if I could ask you, we're almost out of here. My wife has, um, Val has therapy at three. So I'm going to take over with the baby at three. So that gives us eight minutes. So one non-corona question, and then, and then we'll wrap up with, uh, something about that because that's what we're talking about. Sure. I am as somebody who, uh, you're applied mathematics. I don't even know what that means. I just know that means mathematics uh, and that you apply it. Um, this is just this is more of a personal philosophical question. What do you make of the of the fact that math exists? That we didn't invent math, but that we discovered math. How how do you reconcile that as a a universe that operates? And I'm not trying to trap you into believing. No, in no, I love God this or something. I'm curious. Just what what is the story you tell yourself about a a world you can map the trajectory of Venus? and know where it's going to go, and, and you get what math is. What, what do you make of that? What story does that tell you? Oh, that's such a great question. It's, it's not an eight-minute question. Um, <laughs> I'm um, so sorry. No, so I'm going to try and do the, the very tiny version, but seriously, yeah. this, I love this question. I actually have a, a good friend who's a philosopher, Miriam uh, is with whom I talk about exactly this a lot. Um, yeah. So, so there, are two, there are two separate parts of your question, and one is about the internal discovery of mathematics itself as a pure object, uh, a pure language, a pure construct, and the other is about what it can tell us about the external world. Um, and that's also, that is the difference between pure and applied mathematics, actually. So in pure math, well, and I, I started out life in pure math and, and wound up an applied mathematician, and all of, in, for, the, for disclaimer, like a lot of my family going back generations on both sides 
are pure mathematicians. So I'm definitely the black sheep of the family. I'm the applied person. <laughs> um, but, but pure math is the idea of, of just taking an, a logical core, a set of assumptions or statements and going, what are all of the logical implications of that thing that I just said? And what are all of the complexities? Can I, is, if I turn it this way and look at it, do I notice something different? If I restate it that way, does it also mean other things that I didn't know I'd already said? And, and that's a gradual process of discovery of the richness of the statement you already made. And that, for the record, is so complicated that, that basically thousands of years of pure mathematics and, and millions, really, of mathematicians have been involved basically in just examining the implications of an initial set of five accepted statements. We made five axiomatic statements, and it has taken thousands of years and millions of people to still wow. now be discovering just the implications of those things. And it is beautiful. Wow. And, and I think the, the internal rigor and, and beauty of that is, is part of why I'm a mathematician, because I can think of no more compelling thing to do with, with the gift that is a, a human mind than to spend it cognitively on logic itself. Yeah, on understanding is what beautiful. is. Yes. Yeah. But that is a separate question from how can we use math to predict trajectories of planets? It's related because the mm. same tools of logic and construct and perspective are brought to bear about the external world. And so separately, there is a beauty to the fact that there are physical laws and natural laws of the universe. Um, and that, for however they came about, if you're spiritual and believe that they were created, if you're um, a, a completely neutral atheist and believe that they were, um, that they were somehow aligned uh, out of chaos by random chance, it doesn't matter. There is a beauty to the, the existence of those laws and the discovery yeah. of them by that process of logical abstraction and then being able to predict them by going, oh, we did, we got the logic right, it, it works. We were able to, to think, wait a minute, if we accept gravity, which we don't understand at all, yeah. what the hell gravity is, but if we accept gravity and we can calculate things with calculus and physics and then Venus should be there, and then it's there. Yeah. It's also, uh, I think it's a di it satisfies a different part of my soul from the pure yeah. mathematic idea, yeah. but it's still such an amazing thing to be able to go, humans can understand enough to predict the natural world so that we can predict the orbit of planets and we can hopefully stem the tide of pandemics. Does that make you feel uh, less alone when you see I don't want to call it order because I know there's still a lot of mystery in science and math, maybe not so much math, but um, you could tell me that. Does it make you, how does it make you feel emotionally? Do you get the rapture? Your brain can understand things that I can't understand. I'm not saying that to be falsely humble. I'm just saying that's your field. Do you have those quiet moments of like an ecstatic, holy shit, that I'm a part of a system that is so elegant, you're a note in a symphony. Do you ever feel that way? Uh, so I, I, there are moments, but I think more often for me, I am simply so beautifully awestruck by it that it's less <laughs> about my part of it. And of course, I mean, yes, of course, as biological organisms, we're all part of it. But the moments where I truly feel that I've figured out or I've understood something beautiful and true about the world in the way because of the way that humans have constructed science and logic and math and allowed me to think and to train myself to be able to go oh, that's why the sky is blue mm. i can i can explain why i perceive the sky as blue and why someone else does also and why we have that commonality so i think that's where i feel the commonality and the kinship with everybody else that that these rules apply to all. So not so much my, my personal discovery and understanding of them. Those are moments where I'm simply awestruck by the universe. See, um, we need more people like you. I, I just, I, I'm always trying to know and understand myself, and I'm just so appreciative that there are people like you because a Pete being the Pete-ness that he is, is, is thinking about how would it feel for me to get a charge out of that? And I'm glad I exist. I create the things that I create. But I'm so grateful that people like you exist because you're not like me. Your brain works differently. And especially in a time like this, when we need to be so much more collective, it feels like well, we changed but topics, do, but we didn't. I do think you're I selling know. yourself a bit short because. Oh, come on. So, 
Well, no, so ser- quite seriously, my husband laughs at me because I get I get choked up at this point talking about our our comedians as our nation's heroes. Um, because I love that. <laughs> people like you, um, my, my, my personal shortlist of heroes right now are maybe Anthony Fauci and John Oliver and Stephen Colbert. Oh, that's great. Um, and 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 John Stewart for having birthed the generation, and and uh, Samantha B, and uh, just the, the people yeah. who now are are allowing us to have that collective experience of being emotionally capable of dealing with all of this. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be able to do my research right now without people like you helping well, us very, do it. Well, you know why I'll accept that because the theme of our entire conversation was that we're in this together, and it's yes. really beautiful. Uh, I'm feeling deep appreciation for you and thank you for everything that you're doing. And uh, it it feels very nice to be appreciated as well. And I hope people got some value out of this. And I really would love to have you on again. Um, Val is here for her therapy. Um, When we can just talk even more about pure math and applied math. That's so interesting to me. Well, so, I mean, I'm an academician. I will always love to talk about the things that I find beautiful. Um, That's great. So, so yes, please invite me back. But thank you for doing this. Let, let's end on uh, just everybody fill in the blank. Everybody should be blank, and then we will be blank. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I would. I think everyone should be um, kind, and then we will be okay. And I think yeah. kindness at large will let us realize the heroism of social distancing, and let us live with ourselves while this is difficult, and let us rely on each other in the ways that we need. So everyone should be kind, and then we'll Ugh. be okay. You're the best. I thought you were going to say, wash your hands, and you <laughs> hit me with the face of the Buddha. Thank you, Nina. You are <laughs> divine. You. I appreciate you. It's, a, it's silly, but we have the guests say, keep it crispy. That's how we sign off, uh, if you wouldn't mind. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had such a, a dense mind to say that. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Pete. Be well. Stay safe. Yes, get some rest. Be well. Thank you.